Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock-hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. It's another very special soundtrack in this week as we take you to the Everyman Cinema in Hampstead where director Alex Garland and his composers Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury came together for a Q&A following our exclusive screening of Annihilation. As you may know, the film hasn't had a cinematic release outside the US. You can, however, watch Annihilation on Netflix and it is well worth your time if you haven't seen it already. Now, before the boss joined us on stage, I caught up with Jeff and Ben in the bar to discuss their other work, specifically on Alex's Ex Machina and Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Their first score together was for Dread. At least it would have been had the studio not decided it wasn't suitable for the film. Thankfully, they shared their efforts anyway under the guise of Drock. And it's with a spot of Drock that we begin as we find out how they met. scene first actually we've just introduced the film Annihilation at the Everyman here in Hampstead and Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury and I are just sitting in a little room chatting and I thought we'd chat about you guys and your work together and also individually as well before Mr Garland joins us later on for the actual Q&A. I want to know how you two met for the first time first. We play the worst possible competitive old man football um, yeah. it's actually we're in a league and it's actually 20 it's the 28th tier of <laughs> the, the, the the English league so there's 28 leagues beneath the sea yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically terrible it's ba- we play terrible football yeah, it was about 15 years ago we both started playing football in this terrible you, you can tell how terrible it is because by the names of the teams in the league our team is called Brian Munich um, there's Real Madras. Yeah, it's, um, uh, that gives you some idea. <laughs> yeah, so we played football together for about, probably about five years before we even knew each other did music. Wow. I didn't know Jeff was in Portshead. I uh, obviously knew of Portshead, I'd grown up in Portshead. But um, I didn't know he was Jeff from Portshead and he didn't know I did music at that time. I no. was doing music for natural history films. I knew it was like a, a bunch of media types. <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> Your yeah, favourite. They had yeah, no, no. Yeah. They had media names. Yeah. You know what I mean, like Tristan and. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't. And then and he didn't. <laughs> so I think that's why we ended up no, chatting. But then I needed. I I did find out it was Jeff from Portshead eventually after we talked bad football in the bar. But eventually we were talking music, and I had to. I was asking to clear some samples for a friend of mine, and I knew Jeff would know the answer, and so we just got talking more music, and I ended up doing some 
string arrangements for bands on your record label. Yeah, I think first first talk about us working together. I was doing the I was the music supervisor for um, the Banksy film, Exit Through the Gift Shop, and I kind of got roped into that. Not really ever wanting to do anything with film because I always thought it was beyond me really. So I spoke to Ben because we were thinking about getting a school orchestra to play something terrible and how we would go about it and we, we spoke over yeah. a couple of pints and it never worked out. You know, then Ben did some arrangements on the Malachi album, did Joe Volk uh, on Invader and we just kept on chatting and then... Yeah, it was just about waiting for the right time for yeah. the right project to come up. We, we both said, I was sort of stuck stuck is the wrong word but I didn't want to be doing natural history I desperately wanted to be doing feature films yeah. or dramas of any sort Jeff was doing his his stuff but wanted to try and get into writing film music and it was we just thought well maybe we might be able to both help each other out here um, yeah it was really quite simple it was really that simple I mean it's because film composing I think is one of there's two things two main things it's understanding the language of film composition and where it goes and the temperature of it and the underscore and the, you know how powerful it can be and how emotive it can be and then the other side of it is the actual sound and how experimental it could be and how incredibly normal it can be and I think between us we both realised that actually we both know you know a fair amount about either side of it and that's what really kind of you know drove us together and but big, we got on op- and, yeah and, and the big opportunity was Dread, which was Alex's, yeah. uh, Alex's film that he directed, uh, and um, Jeff went up to meet him because Alex had found out that Jeff was a fan of 2018. Yeah, it was a guy. It was Richard Russell yeah. who runs XL Records. Yeah, yeah it, he is a very good old friend of Alex's. He was going to be here tonight, but he's gone. He's it's his birthday, and he's going to see Hamilton. Oh right, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that that's probably kind of. <laughs> that's, that's... I would say he's got the wrong choice. No, yeah, he, yeah, he, can, he, he can watch Annihilation on Netflix. Yeah, he can watch on Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, yeah, it was weird because he called me up and said, "Look, a friend of mine. I hadn't heard of Alex before. I hadn't read The Beach um, it, because I was considered The Beach to be this kind of thing about kind of travelling kids that were kind of in Thailand and the opposite of what I was really. I so, was one of those kids. And yeah. didn't read The Beach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> This is where this partnership is yeah. just the perfect thing because yeah. you're like the complete yeah. polar opposite. No, but actually but we're, we're, not. In, we're incredibly similar. We went to similar the same well. underage nightclubs in Bristol. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Most probably yeah. snogged the same Good, yeah. people. Oh, uh, come on. People, you know, yeah. kept yeah. it modern. You know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we uh, spoke to Alex and then um, Dread was happening. And because I was a massive 2000 AD fan, it was like... Oh my God! The first film I'm going to do is this thing that I've dreamt about because reading 2000 AD inspired totally inspired me into writing music. That and alongside you know kind of Public Enemy, that kind of stuff at that time was so important. And uh, so to be given the opportunity to do it was amazing. And I had an idea, you know, and we talked about it and we both agreed. Well, I went into Jeff's studio and he brought this particular synth and he played me something and I was like, this is just brilliant perfect god i'm doing natural history stuff with orchestras which is great but i just want to be doing this and so we <laughs> we we set about doing it and we did some demos for it and it and it i mean the story's been told but it didn't it didn't work out because mm. uh lionsgate essentially thought they were getting a an action superhero film and they ended up getting at a certain point in the edit realized they were getting a sort of art really house hardcore. film with a very yeah strange demo score 
and they ask for it to be changed in lots of ways. In, yeah. in this, and it happens. You know, we've since, since learned this happens all the time. Yeah, yeah. And in our sort of naivety, we said, "Well, no, we we can't really change it." And but I also, love you so, did that though. It feels well, like it was there well, was no other option. There was no, no option. I mean, there were, I mean, a hundred thousand two thousand AD fans. Like, if I was responsible for the musical side of it being absolute crap, then I just couldn't deal with it. Under you know, and and the band I was in and the way I've always been with music is I just won't do that anyway so um, but, it, but it also was to do with the approach the particular approach that we'd taken it had no other option there is loads of ways yeah. you, can, you can write music which has loads of options and loads of ways you can take it this didn't it was sort of binary it was either this or it something very else. pure and um, I mean, you know, it's well, you can hear it. It's, it's, it's drop, an album. You know, yeah, it's, I mean, that's yeah. the thing. We've got this album. Yeah, that's yeah. the brilliant thing about the good, you know, the happy ending to this story yeah, is that as music yeah. fans and, and, and we, as film fans and yeah. original fans of the series, you've got this fantastic and piece Alex of music. Still yeah. got to make Dread, and it's a fantastic film, and it ended yeah, up having a yeah. great score. And and but we couldn't have done that score to or, or done the music to the the film with what the way we'd started. So. Yeah. In, in in some ways, yeah, it really did work out for the best because we we formed a relationship with Alex, yeah. and he just said, look, you know, next time when I when I'm really, you know, got in control, charge, got control, I want you on board, and I want you on board early. Yeah. But, but even with that whole project with Dread, there's like you know, there's still he's not credited as a director of it as well. There's still that <coughs> whole kind of you know, it's like he was a director. Well, of that's it, what yeah. I mean. It's like, yeah. but it's there's just this weird kind of cloud around the whole thing, anyways. Yeah, it was. I I think. So we, when we joined it, he had directed it and he was editing it. Yeah. So yeah. that's our side yeah. of, of that, you know. And also, we, we ended up actually giving... There was a specific effect that we used for the slowdown of the drug, you know, that they used, because it was such a... You know, I, I, we stumbled upon it, but it was it worked really, really well. So our mark is, is kind of in there, and it is a really good film. project that you worked together on was that relationship and that working relationship instant in terms of yeah we complement each other or we work well together yeah i mean we're, very we're, much so yeah we're from very different musical backgrounds on paper 
but actually sort of not really with exactly the same age. You know, went to schools that used to have fights with each other in the playground <laughs> and, and, you know, had the same musical upbringing in, in different what was musical the, what was the, 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 the album that we absolutely bonded on? It was Howard Jones, Human Live, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. We knew the words. We got all these synths for drop. Uh, and we ended up mostly playing Howard Jones on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're not, you're not who you think you are. Well, we'll think that you are John or Dave. But you're not, you're not who you think you are. Jumbled maps, the preconceived Seriously, in terms of films, you know, the John Carpenter thing and, and you know, Morricone, well, yeah, all, yeah. you know, all yeah. of that, it, all we, the... that world was similar. But then we also had our own take on things. You know, I had a pretty standard sort of musical upbringing. Well, I didn't do music O-level or A-level, but I then went to university and did a music degree and all of that. So I've had a sort of what you call classically trained, although that, I think that's such a bullshit phrase. <laughs> it, but, you know, I know that world and Jeff's, been in the port's head world you know so mm. we have different things to bring bring yeah. to the but table. we both agree, both agree is is usually it's like less less is more and if you can find one thing to do something then then that's enough unfortunately a lot of composers are put under pressure to kind of make things bigger or you know oh, i've been i've had it you know in, yeah. in the naturalistic programs or it's, it's like you know what do you want me to get in here cannons or you know <laughs> how, how can it be bigger it's just some grass growing you know? which is you know the transformer film that kind of that as soon as that was done it was yeah. kind of you're there so you know and it's like in ex machina when caleb cuts his arm open it's just like two synths
think that language is dying out. But I mean, our main thing is to keep on moving on. We don't want to be like in the same pot as everyone else. We yeah. want to keep on doing, you know, interesting, unique scores, yeah. you know. You mentioned Alex with Ex Machina, it was like getting you in early and that's yeah. kind of how it's continued. How early were you in there? with? Well, a- Alex gave us the script as soon as he'd written it and said, you, what are your thoughts on it? He then met Jeff weirdly in an airport. Yeah, in, in Sweden. Yeah, we were Paul Zebra playing and Alon was actually being rude to the woman behind the counter at a cafe. <laughs> I thought, I recognise that bloke, he's from London. <laughs> 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 and then the, Alex was there, I was like, all right? He's like, what are you doing here? And they were scouting for, for the ex machina houses, you know. The, the Nathan's, hotel that they, Yeah, um, Nathan's house, Nathan's you know. House, yeah. Wow. And, um, and it was like, right, let's get together soon. You That's know. the job I want, is like scouting, scouting for yeah. places In like a helicopter. That. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we read the scripts. As soon as there was a rough cut, we not even a rough cut, just a first assembly, we came in. That is the way we work with Alex. It's probably the way... If we do stuff with him in the future, we'll it's set a pattern which is insanely difficult, but creatively yeah. satisfying because you're 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 there from the, you know I know there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on in a film before they even start shooting, but to be there from when they first start editing and the journey that a film goes on, and if you can be as a composer part of that team, a lot we, of composers we, can though, can they? No, because... I know we're massively overstepping our brief in some ways. We get involved in the whole journey of the film it's really weird because you get like rob the dop yeah. and the producers and alex and you know when it goes into kind of post-production you know it's been shot and you've been doing it for a long time and and i think if you're a composer just kind of getting knockbacks and then most probably feel really bad but what happens is we go in and we watch the new cut of it or whatever with barney you know the editor and jan the music editor and alex and us two and it's really interesting because Alex is open to anyone to say anything about the film. So it's like, that new edit doesn't really work. You know, and you're the composer saying, that new edit doesn't really work there. And he's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, I know. Um, oh, it's interesting that. Yeah. yeah. And what and then happened, that will send a whole pack of cards tumbling, normally yeah. to our disservice in some ways. So... A good, I mean, a good example is Ex Machina, where we, we, you know, we were three quarters of the way through, I think, and and had a viewing of the whole, which we do regularly throughout the thing, view the whole thing and sort of take stock and I mean, see so what was working. Micromanaged, I mean, it's, yeah. it's but we think my new we thought that um, we all thought. I think it was Alex that obviously was the strongest voice in this, but he thought, you know, Caleb's falling in love with this robot too soon. Surely he'd be a bit freaked out by her I mean he's supposed to be infatuated with her from first sight but also this is a robot and so we'd written we'd completely written this strand of music that is was Caleb's infatuation with the mm. with the with the robot and um, we all decided well this is he, he's he's falling in love with her too early we've got to change the first one and make it a bit stranger there's no other way of doing it we can't get the actors in again you can't change the script the only thing we've got at our disposal is editing you can do that with but music is the most the easiest and the most effective way of doing it so we changed that first cue
now the next one because that was where it's the like temperature, a domino, it's like, yeah, it's all like a the domino cement, effect. That you know whole I mean? strand, uh, months of work just fell apart from that. So that's quite a good example. And it's really weird actually because you listen to it and it just seems like that we're just pissing about on a couple of synthesizers. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what we do. Of course you were. <laughs> yeah. But it's, it's kind of, honestly, you wouldn't believe it. It's just like, there'll be this one noise. And then that'll move to six places in like yeah. three months. Like there'd be huge rows. I mean, they're literally proper rows in the edit suite yeah. about where it should be. Yeah. You're preempting the action. You're preempting the emotion. But it's really funny. You know yeah. what I mean? But the, the whole a... joy of being, you know, being involved in that sense of, you know, the minutiae of it. Both of us, I think, grew up wanting to do music, but also to be. I could never be a filmmaker, but I sort of part of my brain wants to be. Yeah. And we sort of are. I think it's the doing music for an Alex film. You really feel like you're. A filmmaker. You're part of in it. The I mean, sense. yeah, yeah. And that's it is. It is. Yeah. yeah. He is Doctor Evil. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just you ain't gonna get anything past yeah. it. You know what I mean? He'll he, probably talk loads about collaboration and everyone's opinion. But tonight, literally, but, no, but like, yeah. no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's done in such a brilliant way. You just accept it. You just kind of go, well, I yeah. absolutely trust this person to yeah. know. Yeah. But if the vision is it makes it hard. You build up a pillar and you knock it down, and the whole thing starts crumbling. And you've got to, yeah. you've got to find another way of doing things. And so for every Alex film. You know, if there's anyone out there who wants offcuts of Alex Garland films, we could score like 20 films <laughs> yeah. with he, Alex Garland offcuts. Yeah, you know? yeah. I mean, he, you know, the the whole thing is, I think we're lucky in a sense. A lot of jobbing composers, it's just like, there's your three months. This is it. This is what kind of we want. And and also they're not, you know, you know and there's the a temp score, and it's it's just yeah, replace the temp score with yeah, something yeah, a bit yeah. similar. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas we make the temp score. With Alex, you know, and yeah. we then replace our own temp score, and then <laughs> five, five times. Yeah, um, but, we're going yeah. to talk about annihilation properly in there, but just quickly on Ben Wheatley, who has been on this podcast twice, and yeah, he's yeah. just the nicest man. Oh, Talks so highly of working with you guys. Oh, it's brilliant. What was that fun. experience? It was 
Free you, Fire was yeah. just, it was a really good yeah, experience, it was good fun, wasn't, it? wasn't it? We couldn't have wished for a better thing after Ex Machina, yeah. which was very involved and in some ways, although it wasn't, lots of the stuff was brought in, but it was very minutiae on the computer. This was, we did it as a band. Yeah. And for me, yeah. I'd never been in a band. I'd been in a band as a teenager. You know, we, we formed a sort of bad pub prog rock band. Yeah, the idea was that we were going to be like a Belfast pub prog band yeah 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 i mean <laughs> magically made a, a sort of fairly dodgy record that fitted ben's film that he yeah. found in a secondhand yeah, record there's, shop there's two sides of it there's the, the more traditional kind of lalo schifrin style cop kind of shoot 'em up movie stuff that we did Then there's the the like the really wobbly chorus prog twelve string guitar kind of stuff. And it was really good. I mean, we got you know Clive um, from Portland Radiohead played a load of drums. And, yeah. And um, you know, uh, I mean Ross. Uh, I mean, we pulled in a lot of really good yeah. players and Bill. You know, like any live shows. Well, we would love it's to so have done. Shitty. It would have. It, it, Free Fire didn't take off in the way that any of us sort of really expected. But I think yeah. maybe it will have a second wind, and if it does have a second wind, which it completely it's got deserves. Festival to. billing written all over it. This oh, surely it'd be brilliant. To, you <laughs> don't, I mean, no, yeah, but he does it all the time. For me, it would be brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, didn't get to do this. I play. I play pub prog uh, for a living living, Great. I mean, it was a low-budget film, but it didn't look it. And the, who's the amazing sound guy? Oh, Martin Pavey. Yeah, Just I mean, incredible. he's the, he is a one-man army. He he literally is the sound is the sound recordist. Well, he was yeah involved in that, but then he was dubbing mixer. He was the sound designer. He was the and the amount of the amount of gunshots in that. Film. It's like he a symphony just, of gunshots. It's, it's a, yeah, it's, it and truly it, is. And it took the incredible piece took of the work. pressure off us as composers because we had a, a screening of it at Channel 4. Yeah, before yeah, we'd this is written amazing. any music or we'd done some demos. Actually, we said they didn't fit. They were yeah, too, we did some terrible they were demos. Just, well, they were good demos. But no, they were they're really good wrong. if you hear them alone, but they were just far too pompous and American. So it was like, what are we going to do? And it's like, okay, we're going to show it to Channel 4 with no music whatsoever. We're just going to use a couple of the soundtrack, yeah, you the know, John Denver. Yeah, yeah. The, drops on it and needle drops and, yeah. 
And then, um, and that was it. And they watched the whole film, and it didn't need a score. It was amazing. Just, <laughs> just with Martin's gunshots and yeah. the needle drops, and we so we just thought, actually, we're in a really good position here. We can, we can. It's working without our help. first worked with my guests were High Rise and yeah. the, the reworking of the Abertrack with Portis Edge, which yeah, yeah. was just, I mean, spellbinding, just incredible. It Did was, it take much persuasion to do that? Um, I honestly can't remember. I think I was talking to Ben and then Ben came down to Bristol met me and Aid and then mentioned about the Abertrack and High Rise, which for me was like, along with 2018, it's, I'm just one of those kind of people that digs that stuff. And really, it was quite quickly put together, really, as a demo. And um, but poor old Ben, you know, he came down to... I don't know, poor old Ben, he's, he's amazing, but he came down to Bristol in front of me, Aid, and Beth and Debbie, who works for us, and played, like, the assembly cut of it, which was three hours long or something. We watched it, and Beth... If you can imagine the opposite of 2000 AD, that's Beth. Yeah. So we watched it, and um, our track started... And obviously, it's over the rape scene. And we knew nothing about this. And we were like, right, okay. Um, that's a really odd kind of concept to put like our version of SOS over the top of this incredibly hard rape scene. And it went a bit quiet <laughs> in the studio. And then we got chatting and, and it was fine after that. But, but it is a very heavy, it's a very heavy scene. Yeah, and, and it was it was good fun doing a t- taking an ABBA song and twisting it, yeah. and also uh, because Bjorn really liked it as well, so that's a huge bonus in itself, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Right, go eat, and I'll see you on that stage in a bit. Cheers. Okay, cheers. cool. Where are those happy days? They seem so hard to find I tried to reach for you But you have closed your mind Whatever happened to our love I wish I understood It used to be so nice, it used to be so good
from High Rise, that's Portishead's stunning version of ABBA's SOS, rounding off the first part of soundtracking with composers Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. That conversation took place in the bar at the Everyman Cinema before Alex joined us all on stage in front of a live audience to discuss their involvement in the film. Plenty more on that in a moment, but we begin with Alex's thoughts on why Jeff Vandermeer's novel appealed fittingly accompanied by the cue entitled Annihilation. Ladies and gentlemen, Alex Garland, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. Listen, congratulations, first of all, all of you, on, on an, an absolutely wonderful, wonderful film. I like nothing better than a film coming out and seeing it and it kind of inducing questions and it really sparking conversation with people. And that's kind of what I feel like I've done since I've, I first saw it. Can I go back to the book and when you, when it first connected with you? Producers, um, one of the things producers do is they, they have relationships with publishers and they get books before they're published and they fight with each other about who gets the book. And they're basically taking bets on what will be bestsellers, I suppose, and that kind of thing. Anyway, all three of us were in post-production on Ex Machina. We were about halfway through the edit and one of the producers of Ex Machina and this film uh, sent me the book and said, are you interested? And and I read it and I thought it was a very interesting novel. Uh, had something that I thought was worth trying. So I said, yeah, that was it. And then when you come to to adapt it for, for the screen, am I right in thinking you didn't really go back to the book? It was more about the... Uh, yeah, there was, there, was a sort of, there was an odd thing about it. So... In in adapting something, what you have to do is essentially understand or make a decision, even if you don't understand, on what it is you're adapting. This was the third adaptation I'd worked on. One was uh, a sort of literary adaptation, novel, uh, uh, Never Let Me Go, uh, English novel, um, uh, Judge Dredd, uh, English comic book, and, and then Annihilation was the third. And Never Let Me Go was a rather sort of slavish, literary adaptation uh, where I was literally cutting and pasting dialogue from the book and uh, staying very close as close as I could I think to the source material dread was adapting the character uh, and I felt I felt that's what I had to be true to um, and uh, the character the, the the lead character and in this case it was an atmosphere it's a rather sort of dreamy book and um, has a has a dream-like quality as you read it and I what I thought was um, uh, it's the atmosphere that I'm adapting so I did something sort of unusual uh, I, I don't know if it was a good idea but uh, w what what I thought was I'm not going to reread the book I'm not gonna highlight things in with a yellow pen and stuff like that I'm gonna adapt it from my memory of the novel so I read it once and I didn't go back. And that I don't want that to sound contemptuous of the novel. It wasn't at all. It was to do with trying to understand what it was one was doing. And have you read the other two books of the trilogy? Uh, I, I haven't. Because I wasn't... I, I'm not particularly minded to work on a franchise. And I, I, th they were not written at that point. I knew they were coming. And I'd then written the script and actually gone into prep. And so I thought, what happens if I read something that unbalances the idea that we were by then all collectively working on so no I didn't when you were writing 
the screenplay. Do you listen to music when you're writing? I do listen to music when I'm writing. I was listening, uh, <laughs> I was listening to Beak, Jeff's band. I really was. It sounds sort of sycophantic, but I was. Was that because you knew you were going to be working with these two on the, the score? Or? No, no. I've, I'm a big fan them. of that particular band. But but actually, what happened was one of the ways we worked together, and there are there are other people in this collective, and it, we all work together in the same way. I mean, these guys can talk about it more than me, but composers are often brought in for a six to eight week stint let's say towards the very end of post-production and we started talking about this probably a year before filming and uh, we were discussing music ideas way way before shooting I remember us sitting in the car outside Paddington station in a side street just discussing it for ages Uh, and um, but really you guys should talk about that what were those conversations what were the first discussions you had about Annihilation with with Alex I think they've even stayed to the final cut of the film the very first thing you said I remember it was I think we're going to well it was, it was two things because we had Ex Machina as a reference Ex Machina was done and Alex said this is going to be on a broader canvas mm. musically it's going to be bigger in all ways and he, and he just said and I hear voices in it I think there's going to be some element of human voice that was a very simple thing that was a, a very first thought of yours that sort of stayed through you know completely through the, the whole time we were doing it we talked about kind of human voices being scrambled, didn't we, and, and, and thrown around, which kind of happened. I think that the transformation between the very normal beginnings of the film to a head fuck oh, yeah, yeah. was, was yeah. pretty apparent. Yeah, no, you, say, you, you did say, and it's got to go from suburbia to psychedelia, and it's going to always have this wedge shape.
Oh, and the other thing you mentioned in that car outside Paddington was, and it's going to have a track at the beginning, and that will be representative of suburban pop music. Had you already picked that Crosby, Sills and Nash track? No, for a long time it was a track Jeff had found, which was, um, who's that lady in uh, Fleetwood Mac? Stevie Nicks? It was yeah. Stevie Nicks track. Yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was a yeah, duet, a really beautiful duet she did. can't remember what it's called. It was fucking great. Is that for a while and she wanted a hundred grand and <laughs> rightly so sure yeah but we didn't why have not because as you said it's fucking great so that's why she wants you that. should yeah. see the size of a pool <laughs> <laughs> so then how did you end up with the with helplessly hoping the crosby stills and nash track because you hear it and you know with, with the recurrence of it in the film and stuff it just it's so perfect there's two crosby stills nash tracks i really like it's that one and guinevere <laughs> and the, the thing i like about them uh, was that, yes, it had something to do with that suburbia to psychedelia thing, which was a whole principle in the film. It has a whole kind of structure to it. But also, I like both those tracks because they are very, very uh, overtly beautiful. And there's something about people who hedge their bets where, you know, they want it to be beautiful or they want it to be romantic or something, but they slightly pull back and those tracks just go for it. There's something oddly confrontational about their sort of total, the harmonies. They're also quite odd. They're discreetly odd whilst being very beautiful. So I sort of admired that. Helplessly hoping her others nearby awaiting a word Gasping at glimpses of gentle true spirit he runs, wishing he could fly by, only to trip at the sound of goodbye. Wordlessly watching, he waits by the window and wonders at the empty place inside. Heartlessly helping himself to her bad dreams, he worries. Did he hear a goodbye? I, or even hello? They are one person, they are two alone, they are three together. They are for each other I sort of thought it sets a kind of intention. What this film does and what Ex Machina does and what all the films uh, I've been part of do is they sort of wear their hearts on their sleeve, I think. And this film wears its heart on its sleeve. It, it makes it quite easy to react against it. It sort of pushes its subjectivity right to the fore. And that track, I sort of felt, sort of captured that. It definitely comes with a heaviness. 
you can use acoustic traditional music, but what they did, especially especially in Guinevere, there's a darkness to it in its tone that makes you feel kind of beauty, but you know there's something behind it. And that gave us a really good basis to start. It was, it was very useful for us to have it there as a sort of pillar that was solid. Yeah. Guinevere had green eyes Like yours, lady like yours She'd walk down through the garden In the morning after it rained there was that and there was also the moderat track that comes in at the end and those were two there in the film and they were the posts. They yeah, were like the flag posts, aren't they? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Themes. Yeah. And you mentioned that moderate track that also kind of starts the kind of electronic side of it. Was that deliberate? Well, the moderate track was there from the very first cut of the film and represented, yeah, as you say, a sort of step into the other. Jeff had made a conscious decision, well, collectively we've made a conscious decision that this wasn't going to be an electronic, Ex Machina was a very electronic score in, in many ways, although it's not really, but it, that's how it comes across and we thought, no, this is much more organic, all the instruments we use before the synths come in there are all real instruments even if they sound like synths, that we, we only used a lot of a thing called a water phone that is this weird bowed 70s used a lot in 70s scores as as an effect really we all felt the same didn't we because i can remember coming in and you saying i don't want to hear that sound you know what i mean and and we were like yeah now we've uh, it's done we can't do that anymore let's move on you know
what I'd say, <clears throat> for what it's worth, is that like you're talking about the tracks other people did. I, do, I just want to acknowledge something just as a structural thing to do with the film, which is that it places... I'm, I'm truly not just saying this because the composers are here. It puts an enormous weight on the music. It's got a colossal weight on it. Because if you were to just scroll through a lot of films, you would typically see at the ends of films lots of dialogue and lots of intercut musical stings maybe, a theme that has been set up doing a quick reprise later. And this at a certain point becomes like 30 minutes of music. And uh, that's after music before it. But, but it really at a certain point hands over very fully to the image and the performance, a lot of which is without any dialogue and the music, and it has to sustain that. And not only does it have to sustain that, it had to do something themically, which was to do with otherness. And that was an incredibly difficult, complicated challenge. And uh, on that six to eight week composer slot, the actual composing, not just talking outside Paddington, but the composing was about a year. And it was rewritten and rewritten and reworked on and re... Uh, that's what you should... That's what you should be talking about because that was the fucking... That was the heavy lifting. the film the music the vision and the sound are so entwined that you can't imagine one without the other and we would be lying if we said it was easy because <laughs> it isn't and Alex knows that and we know that it was the same on Ex Machina to a degree and even more so on this one that it offers us a chance to be part of the film in a way that I don't think a lot of composers get the chance to be you know so from the very first cut very first rough assembly we're there as part of a very small team of people you know there's Barney the editor and Jan McCulloch the music editor and, and us three in an edit suite you know and we're part of that we're not just bolted on at the end and the difficulty with that is that you write the music for the film ten times over and, and you, you all make collective decisions that a certain part of it maybe needs to change because of, you've come to a decision about the narrative journey that the film's happening once you pull that pillar down everything else following it collapses and, and then you've got to start again and there are so many examples of that on this film but hopefully for the right reasons it's a hard thing but it's a good thing it was really funny actually i can remember uh, alex saying this is going to be the hardest thing that we've ever done and we went yeah right. yeah yeah yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah we did ex machina with you mate we, we know <laughs> yeah no he wasn't lying he yeah. was <laughs> how do you know when it is right how do you know when to stop <laughs> It's still. If I watch it, I've still got things. That, really? Yeah, a couple of things. Yeah. Yeah, you just stop. At a yeah. certain point, you just stop. Yeah. But also, sometimes it is right. You just yeah. say, "Yeah, that's it. Good, done."
Did you reference other scores or other films at all in no. conversation? Well, actually, that's a lie because I think the acoustic guitar thread comes from Crosby, Stills and Nash, but it also comes from a sort of a feeling, Southern Comfort and films. Like that, do you think? Or the Ry Cooder did Southern Comfort. Yeah, I that, mean that's, that's acoustic it, I mean, guitar. Not, not a specific film, but a sort of generic Americana stepping into the backwoods type. It just felt right. structural thing the, the guitar was sort of uh, human and the yeah. voice was organic and yeah. the electronic stuff was other yeah one of the things is that when you're making something which has a hallucinogenic or surrealist aspect I think if it's not grounded in thought and intention then it's fireworks and masturbation and it's sort of shallow and you smell it very very quickly I, I think it, it seems perfectly likely to me that people would watch this film, uh, they could have all sorts of responses, but one of the responses might be to think, I don't really get what's happening here. But I think they'd probably intuit that there is an intention behind it, even if they don't get the intention. And I think sometimes you watch stuff and you know there's no real intention, it's just like this is a cool music sting, this is a cool bit of VFX, it doesn't have any content. So all of those things, the instruments, and, I, and actually then just spread it across everything. Production design, visual effects, guy doing the visual effects, Andrew Whitehurst worked as hard as any of us and, and his input was as much as any of us, the DOP, everybody. choreographer as well that scene can you just talk about that amazing scene at the end with with natalie and um bobby jean smith yeah the choreographer that you used it's, for that? it's highly complicated thing. The, the whole film was about that scene for me that was sonoya mizuno uh, playing the humanoid who was also an ex machina she's very very gifted actor but also a very gifted dancer bobby was involved in the choreography and there was another dancer called Kristen because natalie was pregnant and there is a surprising amount in that sequence, which is not Natalie, it's Kristen. And VFX has planted Natalie's face onto Kristen. 
And it's, it's, it, it is amazing to me that nobody ever clocks it, but there it is. And it, it was, we actually put more time aside for that sequence than any other sequence in the film. And it was something that people wanted to cut, and which which that th- that was that was one of the biggest fights was really? over that scene. Yeah, absolutely, it, it was infuriating. It partly came from uh, a knowledge that narratives end in punch-ups very often, and the punch-up can be uh, a gunfight, or it could be a physical fight, or it could be a courtroom scene with barristers brilliantly outwitting each other but they're always basically punch-ups and there's something ritualistic and therefore immediately dance-like about that and and that's sort of partly where it came from but it, it was a dance it was literally a dance and watching i want to give credit to Kristen and sonoya watching them do it was spectacular absolutely spectacular and was for me the, the single most enjoyable part of filming and editing and everything that I've ever had. It was, it was like, that's why I wouldn't fucking cut it. <laughs> Thank God you didn't. That moment as well where she kind of, it's that idea of the, I guess, the weight of her own self and you can see that in Natalie's face and that kind of shot where she's... In her VFX face, yeah, you can. (laughs) Oh, now you've spoiled it. (laughs) Um, No, she did that, she did that bit. God, it looked a lot like her. Um, The track, is it called The Alien? Oh, my God, it's great. Can we talk a little bit about that? Because that's... Oh, well, that (laughs) encompasses the sort of difficulties in some ways of the of the whole film because it was very obvious from the very first you you worked on that quite a lot even when we first saw it i think the very first cut and it was outstanding even then it like blew us away even then you know we talk alex talks a lot about 
and being a collaborative thing that uh, every part of and, and writing the music was incredibly collaborative because that that sequence essentially consists of about five bits of music six bits of music joined together and they were some that I wrote some that Jeff wrote the electronic stuff and I did the string stuff and then me and Jeff obviously talked together and, and help us each other out on those bits and then, and then it was put together by Jan the music editor and Barney and Alex came up with a decision to actually we can you know those bits those electronic bits you've done we can make that into one piece and, and that, I'm, I'm telling it right aren't I Alex I think yeah and it, and it was actually quite a late on decision in the film it was something else for for quite a while It's always a, f a very free-flowing kind of, you know, you can have the track from the beginning turns up at the end. You know what I mean? It's, it's you know, it's, it's always like, let's pick this up and stick this at the end. It's like, you always think that these things maybe are kind of like really set in stone really early on. Mm. But it's that thing of Alex's kind of openness to just keep on flipping stuff and trying stuff. The thing is, ultimately, what you're doing, you're all working for the better of the film. That really is what counts, you know what I mean? If yeah. you've got to do something six times, 12 times, it doesn't really matter. It's just how it's going to work best for the films. You, like, you know, we would spend ages getting on something, and then that piece of music would actually end up on a completely different scene. Yeah. And just, I've, I've put it, and that would be the call that we <laughs> yeah, would dread phone, the most. We'd get a phone call in the morning. There was one, I remember, where Alex said, <laughs> you know that brilliant bit of music you've written for the beginning of the film? Uh, yeah, we might put that somewhere else, but I've taken the guitar piece and I've put it at the beginning and me and Jeff just looked at each other and went, you fucking what? <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, no, no, seriously, trust me, we'll, we'll send you a quick cut of it. We've just put it over the, the very beginning and it's, it's, it's completely not what you'd expect from a sci-fi film. You'd expect a sci-fi film to start with all guns blazing or, or weirdness or all of that and, and we're just going to put our cars on and we both watched them and went oh yeah it works really well works really yeah. well and it <laughs> does that thing of not doing exactly what you'd expect mm -hmm. which so, is so always in, was in the back of all of our minds all the time I think with everything if anybody can do anything and say anything to, for the better of the film then they do you know Alex is open for it and that's what it makes it a pleasurable experience however hard it is really
Do you go on set much? We did one day. We did, we did, yeah. with, the, we did with the with the bear. Yeah, we were there for the for the bear being shot up. Yeah. yeah. And, um, did you specifically choose that day? Just no, 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 but it was totally <laughs> it was a, brilliant. I mean, yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was guns and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that whole side of it's just phenomenal as well. The the kind of well, there was the, the real bear. Creation of those I mean, beasts and. I mean, it wasn't made in CGI. It was a real bear, wasn't it? No, 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 hang on a sec, no, 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 but I mean, it was a real bear in a sense, I had a guy, the bear was real. It's a guy I, in a bear I, suit. I, I, well, <laughs> it wasn't I just want to say, there was no way in which the bear was real. No, it, was, I mean, it wasn't made in a computer, was it? It was. No, it wasn't. We were Jeff, there, what did you see? <laughs> okay, I took there, some there, bad there, mushrooms there the night before. Okay, yeah. there, there was an animatronic head. There okay, was a very right. big stuntman, huge, yeah. who would knock them out of the way and pick up Gina and slam her against the wall, yep. slam her back down. And then there was a latex foam head. But we saw the bear's face with the... with the <laughs> You plastering blood all over the bear's head. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the animatronic bear head. So it was a real bear. bear. It was a real... I'm like, okay, it wasn't... <laughs> it, it was wasn't scary. real. Yeah. Wow, it really made a lasting impression on you, didn't oh, it? Oh, <laughs> okay. It's not often you see got a bear's with a human skull on the side of its head. Yeah. Did you ban them from set after that? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> we had to sneak in after that. Stop going on about the bear and stuff <laughs> like that. But um, it's a godsend that you get to be involved this early on, as opposed to, you know, Alex mentioned the fact that a lot of the time with, with composers, they're kind of brought in at the last minute and stuff, from, you know, from talking to... I think it just makes it a bit... I mean, you know, the business is a, is a really harsh business. I mean, it makes the music industry look like playground stuff. <laughs> it really does. I mean people are so vile you know what i mean and um and you just never believe that someone could be that vile and they are aren't they really and, and they so, are yeah and people people would drag they would do anything to smash you in a bits and it's just so to have a group of you that it's actually got this singular goal to fuck with people's heads you know what i mean you know and get away with it as you said you know what i mean take that much money and make a mad film then uh, it's good no. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially if they're horrible. Can I ask the last question? What were you all doing in a car in an alleyway at Paddington Station? Having we were talking Nando's. about the fucking film. <laughs> I've told you already. Um, that listen, was glibby. But we, live in, well, but we, um, we live in Bristol, so we are together. You're dropping off the train station. Yes. That's nice. Thank you all for being here. Thank you so much for coming and talking about Pleasure. Thanks, the guys. Film. Yeah, thank, thank you, you thank so you. much. You. Cheers. Thank Take you. care. Thank you.
to Annihilation, that was, appropriately enough, The Bear, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking, It Was A Real Bear, with Alex Garland, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. My huge thanks to all of them for taking the time to talk to us at the Everyman Cinema in Hampstead, London, and to all the staff there for letting us use their wonderful venue and helping us organise the event. We'd like to give a special mention to Jake and Alex and the team at Kimusabi Film for recording the event for us too. Now, we couldn't have brought you this without them, so huge thanks. You can watch Annihilation on Netflix with the score available through our very good friends at Invader Records. There's a Spotify playlist for this show via edithbowman.com, including the Stevie Nicks track that Alex couldn't remember the name of. Jeff very kindly told us it was Leather and Lace afterwards. My website is also the place to find the audience Q&A in which Alex speaks frankly about why his film didn't get a wider cinematic release. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK and we always say, but please do spread the word amongst your friends if you like what you hear. It's a while since we've had some acting talent on the show. So next up, we have the fabulous John Sim. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FirstYear15 for promotional details.